Hello, hello, guys, and welcome back to another Train Effective podcast. My name is Nixon. I am your host. This week, once again, we are joined by Nick. Nick, how are you doing? You okay? And last week was amazing. It was, it was a great podcast. We had Tohil on, uh, got to learn about his story. And if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out right after this one. But I know this one's going to be a banger, too, with Simon. Yes, yes, indeed, because we do have this week um, National Scout and Train Effective's very own Simon O'Neill. Simon, how are you doing? You okay? I'm good, thank you. It's great to have you on, it really is. Now, I actually wanted to start by asking what it's like to feel like a little bit of a celebrity. Now, I asked that because of the video I'm about to show you guys. If you haven't seen this, the video I'm about to talk about. So, because this video on TikTok currently has 5 million views, so check it out. Just beat me, go on. Doesn't matter how. Go on. Difficult skill or no? No. Does it work? Is it effective? Yes? Start thinking effective. See all this? It's for the circus. Yes? What he did works. Yes or no? Yeah? All right. So for our audio listeners... Um, just to give some context, that was a video of Simon at the Train Effective camp where he's essentially discussing with the players how the skills are great, that they're, they're, they're good, but the effective skills are essentially the, the, the normal, the basic ones, if you like, um, the ones that work every time. And just to let you know, he did drop some serious techers right at the end, which caught me out, caught me off guard for sure. Um, but yeah, Simon, uh, great video. Have you, tell me, have you had anyone come up to you asking for pictures? I wouldn't be surprised if they had. Um. Yeah, one of the guys in the next store, next town store in Oxford Street last week when I was going no in the back trainers. He said, Are you a football coach? I said, Yes, why? He said, I was on TikTok. I said, I'm not on TikTok. He says, You you do this thing about the circus. I was like, Oh right, yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So there you go, guys. Train Effective does have officially a celebrity on board today. It, ha- it happens um, a lot, actually, to be fair. Um I volunteered a grassroots Japanese team and um, you'll see the kids we're about to play all looking at their phones as I'm coming up and they say, are you on TikTok? And I say no. And um, then the accent gives it away, I'm afraid. No hiding. <laughs> That's class. That is class. Um, all right. So let's, let's get stuck right into it. So I wanted to actually start by asking if you could give the audience a little bit of context about yourself. Where did it all start? Did you even did you play football as a kid? Um, and and sort of talk us through through that journey when you were younger. Yeah, I played as a boy. Um, played in Northern Ireland, Belfast, where I'm from. Uh, played in Lorne. Uh, I came over here as a kid for three years. Trained with an academy over here, which wasn't they didn't have academies there. Uh, it's quite a big Premier League club, to be fair. Got released, wasn't good enough. Um, went back, played in uh, a tournament called the Milk Cup, which is quite a big tournament. Uh, uh, played for County Andrum, which is once again where I'm from, and we got knocked out of the main competition, but ended up in the plate, which we won, beating uh, German teams, I think a Brazilian team. Uh, we beat Rangers from Glasgow in the final. Um, and a couple of us moved abroad 
uh, to England and to um, to Scotland after that. So I moved to London um, and signed a pro, uh, but had to do a uh, had to do A levels alongside of it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been allowed to come by my parents. So I had to train a couple of days a week and go to college a couple of days a week. Uh, unfortunately, I got injured. So I've done my Achilles twice. Um, so the career probably never got to where I was hoping or expected it to get to. Um, fell out of love with the game for a couple of years. And then a guy called Roy Coleman, um, who was doing a bit at West Ham and a little bit of coaching at Pimlico and Queen's Park in, in London, got me involved um, reluctantly, I might add. And um, I found that I liked it and it seemed, well, it was nice to have a ball at my feet again, to be honest, and um, realised I'd missed the game. And also the kids seemed to take to me. So uh that was the start of that and then did my first badge in 2002 and i've been working at all levels scouting and coaching all different age groups male <clears throat> excuse me male and female uh for 21 years now and haven't been out of work since really and so do you feel like because of the injuries because of what happened throughout that maybe difficult spell it is why sort of you saw the scouting and coaching pathway and thought that that's something that, that, that could work for you? Or was it just a case of because you were there, it just fell into your lap and you just sort of ran with it? I think um, I probably would have come back to football at some point. Um, but it happened probably earlier than I would have anticipated due, <clears throat> due to Roy. So I have a lot to thank Roy for. Um and then it's just, it's a question of um, understanding what you're doing. My career didn't pan out the way it was, so now I try and help kids, be they boys or girls. Um, and I'm probably, not uniquely, but um, certainly in a, in a good position to advise them. Uh, and the clip that you showed there earlier is more to do about simplifying their game because lots of players now are caught up with YouTube and Instagram highlights reels when actually it's about being effective, it's about end product and how you go. If you have end product, you can help yourself to stand out. Well, I'd like to thank Roy um, from Train Effective as well because maybe if it wasn't for Roy, we wouldn't have the great scout and coach that is Simon um, on board with us now. So. Let's get stuck into, you know, your area of expertise now. And viewers at home, listen, get a notebook, get a pen, because there's going to be a lot of advice, a lot of tips coming your way. Um, so, Simon, say right now you're starting a game. What are some of the key attributes and characteristics that you look out for? Um, it doesn't have to be position specific, but it can be if you want. Balance. In what sense? So I'll watch a kid walking towards a ball and I will make up my mind whether I think he can play or not. Now that will change over the course of watching him play and the game. But if you have good balance, you have half a chance of going either way. 
So you can beat somebody on the left side, you can beat somebody on the right side. You can strike through the ball properly. So your planted foot stays strong. You get the technique right as you play the pass or you shoot. Look at that chain effect. They've just popped up. Tell me I haven't trained in four days. It's <laughs> a jump on it. He's talking about the train effective app. Yeah, it's literally just up. Um, sorry. Yeah. So you you've amazed at how many people um can't shoot correctly purely because their standing leg isn't well balanced enough. But well, hold on, if I can jump in here, Simon, you're saying, look, if I came into the say you're the coach at a club, I'm walking in, getting out of the car. And I'm taking my few few steps uh, towards you to shake your hand. Are you saying, from that point, you're you're already making the judgment to say, how's this guy's balance? If it's poor, you probably already got a bad judgment of me. If it's good, which I'd love for you to define what's good balance, just you know, walking towards you, um, you already made your judgment. I'm starting to make my judgment. Yes. Okay. Well. So it's interesting that. Um, you'd done some work with um, Kez the other day and we were having a discussion afterwards and he's trying to explain to his kids that who the person is that you're trying to impress and it's not your mates and it's not somebody from your demographic or from your area. Um, for instance, if I'm looking at a 16-year-old boy from northwest London, he has to impress a 46-year-old man from Northern Ireland who has different outlook on life completely, uh, different value set. Uh, and that's who you're trying to impress because actually we have the opportunity to help you change the course or alter the course of your trajectory in your career. And I don't think kids understand that enough. I don't think it's put to them enough by people in my position or by scouts or by coaches, or certainly not by agents. It's interesting that you say that because I was there as well at, at that training session. And what I found quite interesting is that, well, firstly, a lot of those boys were ex-academy players or just players that have played at a quite a, you know, a high standard. And one thing that I found interesting was that the majority of them who had never met me, didn't know my name, didn't know why I was there, but more or less all of them came over, shook my hand and said, hi, mate, you okay? And I thought that that was quite impressive that like they all, regardless of the fact they knew they were good footballers, they they, they place value and importance on the other side of things as well. So do, um, you, do you, sorry to cut in, but do you, remember, right? do you remember who came and shook your hand at the start? Because they all there did was, it. There was so many, there was so many. So I, I can remember faces. But, so I, you know, I there was seven that came and shook my hand at the start. So I know who the wow. seven. Wow. So a different value yeah. set. Okay, they shook our hand at the end, and that's cool. But that that's just something. And to go back to your your comment about balance earlier, Nick. Um, as scouts, we get to a game an hour, hour and a half before, and we watch the warm up. And we watch how you interact with your teammates. We watch how you interact with your coaches. And that can put a, a tick or an X against you before you've even kicked the ball. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think, listen, guys, what he's just said there, he's, well, obviously a, a scout who went to a training session, I believe, two weeks ago now. 
and he still now remembers that there were seven players that came and shook his hands and he remembers all seven of those players. So guys, there is a massive importance on as, as well as everything you do on the pitch, but as, as well as how you carry yourself off the pitch. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind, guys. So going off that then, sort of similar uh, question, but what are the characteristics and sort of mentality traits that you that you also look out for, um, you know, while you're scouting the game? Um, bravery. People mistake bravery for tackles, particularly in the in the UK and Ireland. Um, bravery for me is about getting on the ball after you've messed up, not being scared to take another risk um, at the right time. Bravery for me is if you're a tricky small winger and you get kicked you get up and demand the ball again. You don't remonstrate with the referee. You don't throw your arms around. You just get up and get on with the game. Um, for me, that's an essential skill because in football, you will have difficult moments in life. You will also, in football, you will fail repeatedly. And I need to know, one, are you brave enough to try again? And two, are you resilient enough to cope and push through? Simon, say, you know, I've gone to many trials in the past and I think, you know, you, you spend weeks thinking about this trial. You think weeks about, you know, you, you're going to get this opportunity where there are lots of people watching you uh, and that can include scouts. Um, you rock up, like you've done all your preparation, all your training, and then first 10 minutes of the game, you know, and you lose a ball twice, let's say. Say I've lost a ball twice in the first 10 minutes. I already got my head in my hands and I'm like, I come to you, Simon, because someone, someone's off injured. We need a few minutes to recuperate. Simon, what are you saying to me? I'm, Simon, I lost the ball twice, mate. Whoa. We've got 80 minutes to go in this match. How, how am I going to recover from this? Just calm yourself. So calm. at the moment, you are playing uh, in the past. The game's taking place in the present. So you can't affect the two balls that you've given away, but you can affect the next one. So for me, you play your way back into the game. And if that's a simple five, ten yard pass for the next two, three times you get possession, then that's what you do until your confidence comes back. But also just remind you that the reason you're at a trial is because you have ability. Okay, because you wouldn't have been picked for a trial without showing somebody some form of ability. So you have to get back to playing how you play not how you think the people watching want you to play. That, that's a massive trap that players fall into, actually. Um, we had a showcase game last week, and the majority of them were trying to overplay, thinking that that was the way to impress, when actually, uh, you will get bored hearing this from me, but the best players make the best decisions. So going off sort of roughly what we were just speaking about then as well. So one thing that I actually found in myself, and I never played at the top level, nowhere near it, just at university, but I think it's quite relatable. I would play with my friends and just casual football, and I feel like I'm, I'm playing great. I'm, I'm doing really well. Come Saturday, come Sunday, I'm playing an 11-a-side game. The game kicks off, and I'm not the same player. I'm nervous. Maybe I'm lacking confidence. 
every touch is a little bit shaky and worried. What would you say to someone who is feeling like that, who they can play great generally, but when it comes to match days, they're low in confidence, they're feeling nervous. How would you sort of advise them to to, to go through that? So it's the same thing, Ian. Um, football is a decision-making process. It's a running game and a decision-making game. So you have to find something within yourself that can take you back to a place where you become confident again. Because ultimately, once you step over the white line, it is yourself who has to perform. Football, unlike other sports, um, there is much, much less um, involvement from coaches. So basketball, um, Megan football, for instance, they've got timeouts where the coaches can come in and help you. Plus, they're much less, so it's 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minute quarters or whatever. Football, you're pretty much on your own for 45 minutes. Um, unless there's a, a brief stop and play for an injury or something. But realistically, there's a lot more personal responsibility, I feel, on football and other sports due to the, the more frenetic nature and also the less engagement that a coach has an opportunity to, to help. So basically it's a process, the same way as taking a penalty would be a process. You have to find a way, you take three breaths, you put the ball down the same way, you take four steps back, whatever that might be. And you would do that before you go out on the pitch. So then like, A, on the pitch, maybe try to keep it simple, but also before you even get onto the pitch, is it a case of how are you doing mentally? How do you feel going onto the pitch? Yeah, which I think is, is very important. Sorry, go on. I think mentality now um, is becoming much more prevalent. Um, and I think, yes, you have to find a place within yourself where you're happy and confident to go out on the pitch. And if you can do that before it, great. And then by all means, if you need to play your way into the game simply and sensibly, then do so. Because it's much better to do that than to do what Nick was saying a couple of minutes ago give the ball away a couple of times and then panic and, and then you're not actually showcasing yourself in your best light. Yeah. It, it, hearing you say as well, obviously the mentality has become a lot more prominent in the game now. I think in, in the last week's podcast, we are talking about how, you know, 20 years ago, even the top clubs didn't necessarily take your mental well-being and, and how you're feeling in your own head seriously. And it wasn't taken into consideration um, in, in terms of like how you perform uh, on match days. Guys, if, if mentality also is something which um, you feel like you might be struggling with, on the Train Effective app, we have the mentality classes, which are led by Rio Ferdinand, so make sure to go check those out. Um, I found them to be a, a, a really big help. So um, moving on to sort of a, a different question now, this is something which uh, the audience um, have asked as well. So with the experience that you've had, of what, what you've seen, would you say that sort of being 16, 17, 18 years old, um, around that age, is that too old to be scouted? Is it generally that you're scouted at a young age? Or what's the oldest player that you've scouted yourself? Well, the role I'm in at the moment is slightly different because um, now the boys I'm scouting are all playing in professional academies or teams. But no, it's not too old. You just have to look at Jamie Vardy. But previous to that, Ian Wright was a late bloomer. Um, Les Ferdinand as well. So Stuart Pierce also he was an electrician till his early twenties. Um, the there's no 
no distinct pathway. Uh, Michael Beale, who's at Chelsea, when I was there, he's now Rangers manager. He has a great saying about um, only the select few take the elevator, everybody else takes the stairs. And what he means by that is there's not too many Roonies or Sterlings who go straight from 17s to first team football. Everybody else has to take the stairs, whether that's via loan moves, whether that's via non-league football, whether it's going abroad to test yourself um, in a different environment, with a different culture, with a different language. So no, it's not too late. Um, the oldest one, there's been two. Um, one's playing at a championship club at the moment. Uh, had never been in the system. Um, good player, doing very well. And the other is playing in a second no, a third division club in Europe. Excuse me. And um, once again, hadn't really been in the system, but a good player and a good kid. And um, both of them, what sets them apart, I would say, is that they have great mentality. Um, they've taken the knockbacks and they've went about working harder, training harder, putting themselves in in positions to to get seen. Um, I think that's what people have to realise is that you have to aim next level up. So if you're playing step five in England, for instance, you need to get to step four. If you're playing step four, can you get to step two? Because you get to step two, now you're two off of football league and people will start looking at you if you're doing well. Um, if you're 16, 17 and 18 and you're playing step one, step two, step three football, people will come and watch you and they will ask, the head of scouting will ask, do we know him? And you'll say no and they'll say, well, why don't we know? He's 17 years of age and he's played 30 games in men's football. Um, yeah, so it's not too late. Academy football, 23s football can be a bit false really because everybody does the same thing. Um, two centre-backs split, two full-backs go wide, goalkeeper plays out to the six who comes in the middle and nobody goes and smashes him. So he's allowed to pass the ball. Whereas you then get loaned out to League One and now all of a sudden you're playing in front of, I don't know, 10,000 people, 12,000 people. And it's what I call mortgage football. So the centre-back needs the win bonus to help pay his mortgage and he is going to smash you. And you'll soon learn the difference. Um, like I say, everybody has a different journey, but I definitely wouldn't be averse to playing men's football early if you are mentally and physically capable of doing so. Mortgage football, that is a great way to put it. Um, because I've had experience with this where playing at a, a semi-pro level where, you know, maybe you get um, a few hundred dollars a week or, or even a month. But uh, I remember playing in, in Holland, in Amsterdam, and I was in a team like this where I think per, per win you'd get something like 150 euros or something like that. But, you know, if you're playing three or four games, four games a month, it sort of adds up. Um, and if you're getting wins or, or for every game you, you play, you're getting that amount. Actually, 
you know, if you are working and you do have like a mortgage and you do have to pay the bills and maybe you have a child or whatever it is, I mean, that kind of money actually does really add up. Um, and then that's why, like, you know, if you are playing step two, three, four, five level in, 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 the, in England, which for people that don't understand might be outside the UK, don't understand what step three means. Uh, we're talking three steps away from the, the professional league. Right, Simon? Yeah, pretty much. England's slightly different. We, um, we have the deepest well of talent, would you say, because we've got 92 full professional teams. And then we have a conference with about 22 teams that pretty much are all professional. You go down the conference south and conference north, which is at the same level, I'd say 80% of the teams are fully professional. And you can go down all the way to step eight, step nine, and people are still getting paid mm. quite a week. Um, whereas in other countries, it's slightly different because it becomes regional after sort of division two. So the UK, for that matter, is... Um, is an attractive place, I suppose, to come and play because you can still get paid even in what you might consider a lower level. But actually, you're playing at that lower level, you're still playing in front of four, five, six hundred, six hundred people, and there will be scouts at those games. Yeah, so just so people understand, like, you know, if Division One is Premier League, Division Two is the Championship, Division Three is uh, League One, Division Four is League Two, Division Five is the National League. Division six is Conference South and Conference North. And then uh, then things kind of uh, go into more of these regional leagues from uh, Division seven, eight, nine. So just so everyone understands, Division seven is uh, step two, right, Simon? No, step, step three. three. Sorry. Close. Yes. My bad. Yeah, okay, um, close. But, but you got all these steps. So we're talking about uh, all the steps outside of the main pro leagues. And, um, and that, that's why, like, if you, if you think that uh, the eighth or ninth division in English football is going to be a walk in the park, you'll be wrong because players are still getting paid at that level. As Simon says, uh, well, it may not be enough to, well, it, it could be enough to pay some of the mortgage. And that's why people are really fighting for those, for those paychecks as well. Um, so that's why if you ever come to England, you're in those teams, don't expect to walk in the park because it is not easy and people are going to be fighting tooth and nail for their spot. Massively, massively. Um, I also uh, work at a, a step two club at the moment and um, the players there are only in two days a week with a game on Saturday. But um it is very professional. There's video analysis done of your games. You have your heat maps. You have highest sprint you've done, um, kilometers covered, etc., etc. So, like I say, it goes very, very deep down the, the pyramid in England. There's a pyramid system in England going right up to the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, slightly different than other places. But like you say, in Holland, you can get paid win bonuses and, and appearance bonuses, same in Belgium, same in most countries. Yeah, and just to add to this, Nixon, before your next question as well, like what, you know, we're talking about getting scouted at the 16, 17, 18, uh, maybe your early 20s. What do you think now, because you've got, you got games being recorded, you've got players that are typically taking more care of their bodies and are playing and having longer careers, 
what do you think is the age where you go, yeah, right, I'm going to, you know, there's no chance anymore because uh, an article recently came in my, my inbox the other day. I'm just going to share the screen here so you can, you can see. But, but Simon, you, you have seen this guy, right? King Kazu. Can't have, see. Have, yeah, have you seen this guy before? Kazu, uh, King Kazu, he's 56 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do know him. 56 years old, guys, um, for the podcast listeners. 56 years old, he has joined a Portuguese second division outfit on loan. He's been playing professional football for 37 seasons. He made his debut in 1986, guys. It's a lot of when some some people's parents were born here. Um, but yeah, like when you when see when I see articles like this with with Kazu, uh, I don't know, just random examples like Ibrahimovic playing um, until his forties, or Ronaldo saying he wants to play in his forties, or whatever Tom Brady playing at 44, 45 um, in the NFL, things like that. You know, do you go well? Yeah, actually, you could get scouted when you're 28 or 33 or, you know, at, at an older age. I think I think it's difficult the older you get, obviously, let's be fair. But um, the reason why we have under 23 teams and why Spain has teams is to catch the late developers. And there are late developers. Um, uh, Nathan Redmond that... When he was at Norwich, for instance, he was played down age levels, which he didn't like. Um, but he's went on to go and play for England. Uh, the boy was at Manchester United, now at Nottingham Forest, was the same one, the little winger, whose name escapes me for the moment. Um, Jesse Lingard, same. Um, when Ferguson was discussing him, he didn't think he would make a breakthrough until 24 or 25, which wasn't too far off. Um, and once again, he's played for England and he's still playing Premier League football now. So there there are late developers, certainly. And like you say, with the more professionalism in the game, with nutritionists, with sports scientists, with personalised gym uh, profiles and FC trainers, etc., etc., then there's no reason why you can't be scouted later. So... What I'm hearing is that I've still got a chance, basically. Uh, I've seen you. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm, I'm going to... Simon, Simon, Simon <laughs> me. I think Simon thinks I have good balance, so... <laughs> I can... Look, the walk uh, good. The walk was good. To be fair, if we come back to that, Nick, I've seen you play a few times, and you do have ability, but what's really interesting about that is that you've worked so hard that somebody seeing you for the first time would be hard-pressed to know which foot was the stronger, which is interesting because people always talk about um, should you work harder on your weaknesses or your strengths. I think you try and do both as much as you can. Um, Try and have a super strength, so something that will make you stand out. But it's also very interesting to see the mentality that that takes to do that every day. And that would be a big tick in, in, in a box if I was watching somebody like that. Because I'd think, oh, there's a boy who want, or a girl who wants to go and work well, who wants to work hard to improve, who has the necessary diligence 
And um, Wenger has a great quote about motivation. I probably bored you with it before, but it's about the stamina of motivation. Have you heard it? So he thinks the stamina of motivation is more important than the intensity of the motivation. And my take on that is that everybody can turn up to the first day or the first trial highly motivated. What do you like after you've had a couple of knockbacks? Are you still motivated after an injury? Are you still motivated to want to be a good learner after 200 games professionally? And they are the people who make it. They are the people who go to the top. They are the people who sustain careers at a professional level. And uh, I think it's an interesting quote for many reasons. Okay. Yeah, that's a great well, quote. Sorry, about it, Nick. Yeah, I'm going to say that's well. First, I got a little bit of an ego boost, but I think from both me and Nixon, <laughs> both of us need to actually participate in the next train effective camp and then get our scouting reports from Sun. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, go. Like I like I said, guys, it's not too late. I'm I'm going to send you a highlight reel, and if you can <laughs> send it to your to your mate at Queens Park Rangers, and and we'll crack on. So. Can I um, something there, Nixon, before you start? Go ahead, we, go ahead. We do get sent lots of highlight reels. Um, it's very helpful if you give us a description of who you are or else I'm not even going to look at it. I'm not going to lie. Um, you don't have to have expensive software, but you could say I'm wearing green boots or orange boots or something. Something that allows me to identify you because you, you sent me a video that's one one minute and 30 seconds long. I don't even know who I'm looking at. Really? Well, I mean, it's cool that you've sent it. It shows that you're thoughtful, but just do things correctly so that I can identify you. Otherwise, you've went to a lot of trouble for not, not a lot, basically. I think that's two very good takes for our audience members to to get out of that. Firstly, about the the awesome like quote, can you keep turning up when when things are difficult, when it's not going your way? Can you keep turning up? And also, what you just said about the the details matter. So even if it's a matter of you're sending a highlight reel to, to someone to see, put in your details. Make sure the scout you're, you're making the the scout's life easier, um, and 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 that will work in your favor. People don't understand the the massive amount that luck plays in football so two sundays ago um i was going down to watch a friend's boy play um because we were going for lunch afterwards and his game was um cancelled the other team cancelled at the last minute so i'm down on a grassroots pitch what do i do i go and watch games because that's what i do so i watched an under 10 play I watched two games, an under-10 game and under-12 game, and I've recommended an under-10 to a Premier League scout that I know to go have a look at him. So you never know who's watching you. So every game you play is an opportunity for you to show your best side. Doesn't matter whether it's in a local park, in a five-a-side, you could have a local goal centre, which is like a five-a-side centre over here. And you could have a coach from a professional club doing a one-to-one -one with his boy or a family member or a cousin. And then he just happens to look over because we do, because that's what we do. We, we watch football. And if you're doing well, you never know what can happen. 
and like this has actually happened to me two or three times um, where I've been training alone at a field or in a, in a park or something. And I've been like properly training, you know, like max maximum intent, uh, trying to, you know, finish at full speed. Like it's not just kind of walk in the park kind of thing, doing nothing. Um, but I can remember two or three times where there's a coach that's just happened to, to walk past um, or someone that owns a facility or something where I was training at and they came up and say, hey, like, do you play football? Do you, are you looking for a team? Like we, I know this coach or I am a coach. Like I would love you, I would love for you to come down to our training. Like this happens, guys. So you never, never know who's watching. It's so true. So we, I got a phone call off a coach and a scout um, a few years ago saying, um, I've just come across a South African boy training by himself in the park. Will you have a look at him? And because of who the phone call come from, yes, of course I would. Um, very good player, actually, as it happens. I think it'd be fair to say, even at the top level of football, luck plays a massive part. I always like to think of the case of Martinez, the Aston Villa goalkeeper. Like He was uh, at Arsenal for about eight years. He didn't get any breakthrough, constant loans, but he stuck at it. One day, the first-choice goalkeeper gets injured. They don't have another second-choice goalkeeper, so he gets to come in. Next thing you know, he plays well. Argentina pick him up. Oh, Argentina notice him now. Goes to Copa America, wins the Copa America, goes to the World Cup, makes a few saves in the penalty final, and, and, and he's a World Cup winner. So, yeah, I, I think you're spot on in terms of um, luck many, playing, a, playing a role. Sorry, go on. How many loans has Harry Kane had in his career? Ooh, let's do a quick search. See that? Yeah, he had a few because he didn't. He didn't kick on until quite a while. So let's see. So he joined Tottenham youth in two thousand and four. In two thousand and nine, he went into the senior side, but he had loan spells at Leighton Orient, Millwall, Norwich City, and Leicester City before he could finally break through at Tottenham. Okay, and in four of those clubs, they didn't think he was good enough. Yeah, well, Norwich only gave him three appearances. Leighton Orient, 18, Leicester, 13. So, yeah, they didn't want to keep him oh, clearly. That tells you luck because fair play to the boy because he's, he's kept working hard. Um, but also it was luck that there was a manager who liked working with young players and it was luck the guy got injured and Harry got in. And to be fair to him, he took his chance. Rashford got in off of an injury and he's flying. Um. So you can't affect luck, but you can affect how you train, even if it's by yourself, as Nick said, with intensity. Um, very lucky to have been able to watch some top, top teams train. Uh, and I was at Barcelona many years ago. And it was when Messi, Neymar and Suarez were there. And at the end of the session, and they were just taking shots from the edge of the box, like free kick type shots. And it started off, they were doing it properly. Uh, but then Neymar and Suarez started trying to do silly things, bending it, knuckleball. Everything Messi did had a purpose. Every shot he struck was shooting for a realistic um end product in a game and I don't think there's any doubt that 
that is the way him and Ronaldo train. They train to play, and they train. They don't. He wasn't there to waste any shots. He was there to to practically as much as humanly possible to to replicate what he would do in a game, albeit without any um, interference. No messing around. No, no messing around. Slamming these things in the corners like you wouldn't see. <laughs> That's very cool. So one, one oh, thing well. I want to ask you for all the players that are listening and, and they're thinking to themselves, well, how do I train with intent of Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, one of the things that I would do is if I say I'm doing an app workout, I'm doing the finishing workout on the, the Train Effective app, for example, what I'll do is there's a um, in the finisher workout in the Train Effective app, there's a, for example, a drill called air control. So you're taking, taking a touch uh, from the air and then I think you've got you know, whatever, 10 shots in the left corner, 10 shots in the right corner. Um, actually, in the drill, there are no corners. You're just able to shoot. But what you can actually do is is do put a cone, a meter from each uh, each goalpost, and you, you try and hit the balls in those corners. Um, so actually, every time you shoot, you have an intent of where you're going to strike the ball. You're shooting with power, shooting with accuracy, and say you give yourself a target like five out of 10 in the corners, um, you know, you get, if you get five out of 10, you're good. If you get less than that, you know, you gotta, you gotta do uh, one round of sprints or 10 push-ups or whatever it is. So you just get yourself in that mindset of pressure of something that at least tries to replicate that, um, that game sort of performance that you'll need. Um, so just a, just a tip for players there. So just to just to add to that, practice makes permanent. Doesn't make anything perfect because football's an imperfect game. But the right habits, and if you ingrain them in yourself, so for instance, hitting areas, eventually you will start and you will hit it just wide. And you keep doing your repetitions and you'll come back and you'll hit the post and eventually you'll start hitting the middle of the goal. But hopefully through repetition hard work and practice, you will start hitting corners. And once you do that, there's a thing called myelin, which is in your brain. And every time you do something good, it creates a neurological pathway. And then that neurological pathway stays with you forever. And what you then have to do is, after taking that away from under no pressure, you need to replicate that in game situations. And that, that's how our brains work. Our brains recognize patterns and the pattern it recognizes helps you to make the right decision. Am I going to bend this in the corner? Am I going to strike through it with laces, etc., etc.? Practice makes permanent. Uh, I quite like that. And Nixon, I'm so sorry that you can't get to your next question. But like, okay. Simon, okay, guys, the word myelin, like 95% of people listening have never uh, heard of this word before. Um, but Simon makes such a great point about this. You know, if you if you practice. Deliberately, you you build this thing called myelin, which is um, in your body. Like, I'm not going to go into explanation right now, but for everyone that's listening, uh, have a look at this video. I'm going to share it on my screen. I'll explain it to the podcast listeners. Um, it's, called, it's on our YouTube channel. It's called Why Thousands of Hours of Practice is Not Making You... Uh, oh, sorry. Why Hundreds of Hours of Practice is Not Making You Better. And um, the first couple of minutes of this video, you'll, you'll understand like what myelin is, uh, how this is a cell in your body that gets better with deliberate practice. Um, 
I'm just showing up my screen now, guys. Give it a listen, give it a give it a watch. Um, and I promise you, you'll never regret watching this video because you'll you'll take you'll take that for the rest of your life because it's something related to building a skill. And whether that's football or whether that's learning the piano, like this is such an important concept to know for everyone that wants to develop develop and improve. Um, so definitely, definitely have a have a look at that. Why hundreds of hours of practice is not making you better on YouTube, train effective. Nice. Guys, make sure definitely to go check that out after the pod. Not only are you, you learning, you're also seeing a fresh face Nick um, from, from a few years ago. So, so make sure to make sure to go check that out. So, it was just a video. It looks not old at all. Not old at all, Nick. Um, so going back to, again, your sort of area of expertise, if you like. So and this was a, a question that we actually got a few times uh, from from our audience. Based on your experience, would you say that sort of the country you're born in or the country that you grow up in makes a difference in going pro? Um, or is it a case of sort of, you know, if you're good enough, you'll be found by someone somewhere? Um, difficult for me to talk about other countries and, and their working practices. Um, based off my own experience in, in this country, I think you will be found. Uh, I think it's very difficult to slip through the net now because you have pre-academy, you have academy, you have shadow squads, you have development centers. So even if you're not quite at academy level, you can be at a shadow squad or a development center. And then if you do well, hopefully the ethos is that they move you up. Excuse me, Gareth Beale, I believe was at a development center for Southampton, funnily enough. Um, he seems to have done okay. <laughs> just about um is it harder in places that don't have a footballing heritage or tradition i imagine so um i think america being a case in point is quite a strange one because there doesn't seem to be a coherent pathway because they don't have promotion and relegation they seem to have a i was going to say I'm not, I'm going to be polite, an interesting way of doing things. Um, uh, and I think that makes it harder. But then, of course, they do have a, a college-based system. So that possibly fulfills some of that gap. I think in Europe, yeah, I think if you're good enough, mostly you will be found. Um, but it's about, great word, actually, deliberate practice massively massively important you're not doing it to look good you're doing it to improve and that clip you showed of me at the start that was trying to get through to them that actually the best players in the world only have two three go-to tricks Messi's been the best dribbler in the world or up there with amongst the best dribblers in the world for the last 10 12 years and realistically he has a little two touch that he goes past somebody with he has a little drops his shoulder and does a cut back and goes on the outside of you. They're not particularly difficult moves to master. Um, Steven Gerrard used to have a, a reverse cut, which is basically he holds the guy off of his left shoulder and he uses the outside of his right foot to chop back across and go away from somebody. So they don't have to be all these uh, intricate and uh, difficult to master skills. They have to be effective and, and the higher you go as nick said earlier 
with um, people videoing your games, etc., etc. And the metrics that we now have, it's looking at what is your end product? How many crosses are you delivering? How many assists? How many goals? How many pre-assists? How many final third entries? So anybody can get 98% passing the ball square and backwards. Can you actually hurt people? Can you play the ball into the final third? How many times you do it? And we can see where you do it. So there's Instat, there's Wisecout, there's all these metrics that we use now. And um, I have showed some of the boys on the camp previously and they were shocked at, at how deep it actually goes into on your performance levels. You could get away with it when I played. Now, Gaffer, that wasn't my man because nobody had a video camera. But now, you would be putting the ball in the back of the net. You don't have an answer because it's there right in front of you on the screen. Nowhere to hide. So it's, it's, it's true. Like, I was just, um, I played in a game uh, on the weekend and um, the coach sent in the, the team WhatsApp group, he sent the, the VO, um, VO camera, like analytics, because VO, who's, who we work with sometimes, by the way, we, um, they like have this analytics thing. And they, I think it's called now like the VO 2.0 camera or analytics or something like that. So anyway, like now after the, the match, like you have these reports of like, ball possession from both teams, um, like how many passes you could string together, like analytics that like you'd find in a like an actual proper like professional match that's being broadcast on tv but those kind of analytics man and for that that data that we have now in 2023 it's crazy like wow it's an amazing time we're living through <laughs> i just add nick that um you have to be a good learner in football now because of the amount of information you have so one of my friends works at the top top level and he is the manager and he has to go through it every two weeks to just and make sure he is committed it to memory because the amount of information you have to take on board now you see the every time you watch a premier league game and you see the subs come on and they have to go through pages and pages and pages you have to know all this excuse me whereas previously you could play off instinct um I think instinct still has a massive part to play in the game, but you also now have to know your roles and responsibilities inside out. It, it's funny what you're saying about sort of like how far we've come in 2023, because I was actually talking to my mate and, you know, he just plays Sunday League just for fun, really. That's about it. But even both both of them actually have, uh, and I forget what they're called, you know, the vests that you wear and then you have the app and it tracks. There, your... there. there you go. Your, your sprints, your your Mars covered. And yeah, that that's sort of the way that we're moving. It doesn't have to be at the top level for you to be able to study your game, watch it back. There's ways that you can that you can do it. And that's what we have at Train Effective as well. Um, so touching back on sort of the last question that I asked you. So now, obviously, you've been a, a Train Effective coach um, for quite some time now. You've been at the Train Effective camps. What has that been like for you in terms of, you know, your coaching players from all types of different backgrounds from all over, all over places in the world. What, what, what's that been like for you? That's been really interesting for me, actually. It's been um, enlightening to see how other kids and other cultures work and what they think is important and, and what isn't. Um, 
the interesting side of it for me would be that um, you have to be as fit as you possibly can be to give yourself the best opportunity. Um, I have seen a couple of boys who would certainly be technically in the top third but because their uh, physical conditioning hasn't been as good they haven't been able to express themselves in the way they like so once again it's the full package with football now when i played um there was less of a talent well so you could maybe get away um because you were technically better you could shine uh because people are so fit so focused and so motivated these days i don't think that happens so much you will still get the odd anomaly but generally you have to be uh in the best condition you can be and you have to have put the hours in there's no hiding from it you have to have worked hard and trained hard um to to be as a as effective as you can be as a player and it, it you have to be effective and if that's a defensive midfielder can you intercept? Can you screen passes? Can you stop the ball going into their front three? Is it a defender? How many headers have you won? How many tackles? How many emergency shots have you blocked? So there's a metric for everything. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been a great experience. Met some cracking kids, still in touch with quite a lot of them. <laughs> um, and in fact, one has texted today because he wants a call. Um, and he's playing uh, in the first division in his country. Good kid, good player, wants to do well. Um, one boy texted the other day. Uh, he's just signed his first contract once again in um, his country. Uh, he's only 16. Good kid, good player. And there's, there's numerous other ones. Yeah, so, I think I was going to say seven. Like, I think that's what we try and do with Train Effective is always like continue the relationships with players after the camps. So it's not just like a one-off thing. They come to the camp and that's it. Um, we're always trying to create relationships for a long time. It, it's, 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 yeah. I think I think that that is a great part of the process because also they can stay in groups with their peers and they can help motivate each other because if they see one of their friends doing well, well, I can do that because he wasn't any better than me. Yeah. I just need to work a little bit harder on this deficiency or, or maybe try and improve this strength. Um, the other thing that I don't think all of them take advantage of is the fact that the coaches are actually staying in the hotel with you. Um, and there's knowledge there to be passed on and the people who are doing it are quite happy to to sit and have conversations with you to pass on the knowledge to give you advice so i think that, that that's a very good thing as well and like you know with, with these camps with train effective you've you've now seen you know hundreds of players from all around the world that have come uh to london uh, where, where we do them in the summers um you just recently returned from miami where we had uh, 20 or 30 players there for a train effective camp. What, you know, so you've, you've seen them all, all across the board, but um, we have a lot of Americans watching and I know a lot of American uh, players watching want to play in Europe, want to play in the UK. Um, what do you see is the main thing that 
well, they could do that really makes them stand out in, uh, in Europe, in the UK. And one thing that really holds them back that they're not doing. Um, I think when people come to the UK, and this isn't just Americans, this is um, Europeans everywhere, people are shocked by the intensity as well as the quality. Um, and I, let's go back to the top level. Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry looked lost for the first six, seven games. Patrice Evra had a nightmare for his first three or four. Then eventually, when they got up to speed with the physicality and intensity, look at the careers they went on to have. Um, so I think the intensity, the physicality, and the, the actual allied with technique is a shock to people when they first come to England. Um, I think you can get away with it in the Latin countries a little bit easier. It's not quite as quick in, say, Spain or or France, for that matter. Um, but the the technical level required to, to play even at step eight or nine in England is very, very high. Um, and I think what people on your camps have seen is when they've come to watch a step two game for instance they think division six they think oh that's going to be no good and then they realize when they're watching how quick it is how good the people are how strong they are um so i think the takeaway should be that don't turn down any team that's willing to pay you to play football because to be paid to play football is a privilege and if they're paying you there's a likelihood that they're at a good enough level where people will be coming to watch. Um, and then uh, once again, once you go over the white line, as we discussed right back at the start, it's up to you. There's nobody else can affect that for you. Take responsibility. Nice. I like it. So I want to go back to something that you touched on earlier. As um, we recently heard the great news that I, I and I, Sorry if I mispronounced this name. I haven't heard it be said. I've just seen it in writing. It's Gell, I think it, it is pronounced, possibly. Um, he was at our most recent Miami camp, and he's just now signed his first pro contract, as you said, um, at the age of just 16, which is, well, music to our ears. So he actually, we, we spoke to him after hearing about the fact that he had signed his first contract. He actually came out and said, and I quote, Coach Simon had a big part to play because his advice were things I'd never heard of before and it provided me with a different way of perceiving and playing football. I also believe that living and breathing football for three weeks at the camp put me in the perfect position to become a better player. So, of course, it's a fantastic success story there. Um, but I did want to ask you, you know, what did you think of him when you first saw him? And perhaps what is it about him that's made him stand out and, and why he's got his first pro contract? Right, I'm just looking for something because he sent me on Instagram. Um, so we were talking by the poo and we were talking about training and how to train and when to train and what to do if sometimes you're not feeling like it. Um, I don't know if you can see this. You won't be able to see it probably, but no, you can't. Um, he sent me a picture of a week, and it is 
minus 38, minus 36, minus 26, and minus 27. Um, so that boy is going out and training, obviously in domes, but he's still putting himself out there to go and get to training because that must be some harsh, unforgiving terrain. Um, so his mentality is brilliant, frankly. Um, and I wish him all the luck in the world. He's a good kid. He's got good ability. He's got good size for a centre-back. Um, and he was telling me how cold it was in his country, and I didn't believe him, which is why he sent that picture. And I was like, oh, my God. That is ridiculous. ridiculous. But there you go. Um, he has chosen to go over that obstacle rather than let it stand in front of him. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing, and I think, like I said, it is it's music to our ears to to hear a, a, a very recent train effective um, player sign his first contract. So, yeah, we wish him all the best, and hopefully, we'll hear from him soon um, as well. So, let's now get into another side of the pod. So, when we, of course, I've already touched on some of the questions that are coming from our audience, but let's get stuck into to a few more that I've got from my audience. Let's try and make them a little bit more quick fire, if you like. Um, so. What are three things every club wants from modern day centre back? Centre back, yeah. Reading uh, of the game. Can you pass through lines? Can you win your individual battle? Nice. There you go. What are some qualities that you look for in a striker? Depends on the system you're playing, but ultimately you have to be able to finish. Um, if you're not quick, can you hold it? Can you set it? Can you bring people into play? If you're quick, can you make intelligent runs in behind? Uh, and what is your movement like to get space in the box? And then ultimately, you're judged on scoring goals. Nice. What are some top tips you have for central midfielders? Pass the ball forward. Pretty, pretty simple and direct. I like it. Um. If I don't get accepted at a trial, what can I do? So, for example, ask the coach why, um, things like that. What, what could they do if they don't get accepted? The majority of coaches will be happy to give you honest feedback. Take it on board. Um, don't sulk. Uh, I was released three times before I signed. So that goes back to resilience again. Okay, nice. And before I come on to the last question that I've got here, Nick, is there anything you want to add right before I ask the last question? Are you good? No, we're good. Salmon's right, full of yeah. He is. He really is. All right. So let's finish off the pod then. What are some things which impresses you as a scout, but don't necessarily require any talent? If that makes sense. Hard work. Um, people think it's a given and it should be a given, but it isn't. Um, so, can't remember it was Croy for Guardiola. They expect you to run. They expect you to work hard. Um, manager I'm working with at the minute expects you to hit 12 kilometers a game. But he expects other things in and around that. Um, but I think, look, if we go back to what I said earlier, 
everybody wants to be a footballer, which means there are millions and millions of people who will take your place tomorrow. Are you prepared to outwork them? Not just away from the pitch, but on the pitch. Are you prepared to still work hard if your team's getting beat 3-0 down? Because people can down tools and it can become a rout or I can be sat in the stand or somebody like me sat in the stand watching you working extremely hard to try and recover balls to still do your job even though other people have given up and I'll be thinking, you know what, I'm going to watch him again. I wonder what he'd be like in a decent team. Or she, for that matter. Well, there you go, guys. Hard work. Yeah, it's, it's the minimum requirement. Um, not just in football, by the way, but in most sectors of life. And I think that is a great um, note to end the pod. Simon, thank you very much. Um, you've been an absolute gem of a, of a guest today. And I'm sure, guys, if you want a part two, let us know in the comments and we'll make sure to get Simon down for a part two. I'm sure it'd be great. Um, and also, if, if you do want to actually talk to Simon up close and personal, make sure to check out our upcoming camps in 2023 where you can you can grab a hold of him and ask him any questions um, that it is you want to ask. As always, make sure to, to subscribe to our channel. There's a lot more content and podcasts on the way. If you're on Spotify, make sure to follow and check out our socials, which will be in the description as well. Until next time, thank you.